and we were in New York. I saw Beauty and the Beast. I remember leaving. It was at the Palace Theater. I remember leaving and walking down the street. It was a Saturday night and just it being like so energetic as we were walking to the stage door to get the autographs. And something kind of even hit me at 13. I was just like, oh, I think something about this place is going to play a significant part in my life. Mm. And like, I didn't know what it was. I, I wasn't like, oh my God, Broadway at 13. Mm. That what didn't happen to much later, but like something about that place, I was like, I had a kinship with that at 13. This is Epic Ordinary Lives Podcast. Welcome to episode 44 of Epic Ordinary Lives, the podcast that believes in the power of story. Story as being of benefit to the person sharing their life, sharing what they've gone through, their journey, their challenges, their triumphs, and also a benefit to the folks that are listening. Because even if we've lived an entirely different life than the person that is sharing their tale, we can pick up things from them. We can learn from them, or we can even find ourselves in their story. This week, I have James Roberts IV on, who has lived an absolutely fascinating life, who is a true multi-hyphenate, yoga teacher, actor, singer, writer, YouTuber. The list of what he does is significant. I'm fascinated by stories like this of, of folks that don't wake up when they are nine years old and know exactly what they want to do, but rather find a lot of things that they want to do along the way and then learn how to build a life around those passions. I love this story. I am this kind of person. I'm not disparaging anybody that has that kind of clarity, by the way. But I think it's good to hear both types of stories, so it, it really relates to what is true for you. This is very much a story about his journey to his journey from taking an initial acting class and leading that all the way to moving to New York City to pursue that path, studying it, and having incredible adventures in theater and acting. He was on tour with hair eventually. I don't want to give a spoiler, but he he takes this initial spark of passion and takes us along the way to what it's like to take the leap to move across the country to the East Coast to pursue this while working full-time. And this is a two-parter. Part one will heavily be focused on this first chapter of going from living in Tennessee to that move to this huge high point of his initial part of his career. And then in the second part, we'll pick up where we left off, which leads into kind of how he ties together that initial path with other things that he does, such as yoga. I mean, he's, he is a, a yoga teacher while doing these other things. 
by the way, I've not even given all of the multi-hyphens that, that he is a part of because I'm going to let him do that in this story, in this, in this episode. But if you want to check out what he does, you can go to James Roberts the fourth, the numeral. So that's jamesrobertsiv.com. Uh, it's good links to everything from his YouTube channel, which has tons of content, to his yoga teacher website and, and more. And you can find him on Instagram, both with his acting, singing, and other performance work at jamesroberts96. And his yoga practice and teaching is available at jrobertsyoga on Instagram. So without further ado, please enjoy part one of James Roberts IV's Epic Ordinary Life. So I am here with James Roberts IV on a, well, it's an overcast day in Nashville. What does it look like in Chattanooga right now? I have not looked out a window yet. Okay. <laughs> it's a it's a surprise. It's going to be a surprise. Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm sitting here with you and I'm thinking that I met you back in the early 2000s because we both went to MTSU. Did you Correct. start in 2005 or 6? 4. 2004. Okay. So you were there a year before I was then. Mhm. Do you have any like when I look back in those days, it's so weird because the campus itself does not look anything like it did. I mean, the building where did you live? I lived in Woodfelder. Yeah, me too. Okay, so we really did live in the same dorm. That building doesn't exist, does not exist anymore. Yeah, it's like a it's a science building. We have a nice science building, exactly. <laughs> So it's it's very strange to you know you can't even trace your your past when the buildings don't exist anymore. Yeah. But one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on this podcast is because I'm fascinated with people that live multi-hyphenate lives. Mm -hmm. People that are just passionate and inspired by a lot of different things because I am I like having people on this podcast that are from incredibly diverse walks of life and, and experiences. And when I was researching for this podcast, I mean, I don't know that I can find somebody with more hyphens, right? <laughs> next to their name. So I wanted just at the, at the top, I, I mean, I'll, I'll start with a couple. I mean, you're, you're an actor in film theater. If you can keep those hyphens going, I, I just want us to lay that out at the top. Yes. Um, so actor and film and television um, and uh, theater and uh, singer, songwriter, recording artist. Um, what else? A yoga teacher, dancer. Uh, writer. Writer. Yes. 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 Writer. YouTuber. You've got YouTuber. a YouTube channel. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness. Podcaster. Just Podcast? yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that because my mind works in a similar fashion where I, I don't want to pick one niche and, and just get real. I, I mean, I, I think we all have to, to some degree, mm -hmm. but I, I want to explore how you built a life with all these different diverse interests, but I want to start kind of at the beginning. And when I was looking and researching your path, uh, it looked like a, a teacher actually 
was maybe the the doorway. Uh, when I was reading it, it you entered into the Chattanooga Boys Choir at the suggestion of a teacher. Yes. So if you can place us there, what was that uh, catalyst? Um, this that happened in elementary school. I'm going to take you just a few years before that, though. Okay. There was a teacher in preschool um, who I guess singled me out in terms of musical talent and had like had me sing in front of this huge crowd at this open air concert venue when I was like maybe four years old just me and her on stage she she singled you out while you were an audience member no 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 no. we had I, she was my pre one of my teachers in preschool okay and um I, I guess there was a performance of some sort coming up and she kind of pegged me to sing uh, a solo um, with her on stage at like maybe three, four years old, um, a song called Dreams Do Come True. I remember that. And um, so that I think that was the first time like someone kind of spotting musical talent. So I think I had a little indication that this is something that I may have an interest in. The boys choir came to my school when I was in second grade or so. And I think when they come to schools, um, they like tell the music teachers to like be on the lookout for anyone who has any sort of like inclination with this. My music teacher pulled me aside after a class one day and just had me do some scales and things and just like basically scheduled me an audition for the choir. Mm. Yeah. Now that, that initial experience, you were in preschool, you said. Yes. Do yes. you remember the song? Do you remember anything of that? Just like looking out on the crowd at all? Do you have any memories? I remember looking out on the crowd. I remember being scared, but I also remember um, the teacher. Her name was Miss Della. I love her to death. Um, I remember her like, you know, just holding me on the shoulder, like getting down to my level and like putting the microphone in front of me and then just like saying, go ahead and, you know, do it. And were you already naturally singing uh, in your life? Like, you know, how did she discover your talent, I guess? I mean, like, it's preschool. You sing in preschool. That's it's true. like, it's just like you, you have no inhibition. So if a teacher asks you to sing, you just you just sing. And I guess, you know, I could carry a tune back then. You know? Yes. And I should know that I was a kindergarten teacher 10 years ago and I cannot carry a tune very well, as my wife will attest. Oh Lord. But that's a very, so you're, that's interesting. You were discovered in the probably days of the week song or something like that early on. Something right? like that, you know? Yeah. So you, you have some natural ability and then that leads you to uh, get positioned for this choir experience. So take us there. Wow. Um, that was a journey for me because I, had known a couple of um, um, boys who, are, who were um, friends of my family. Um, my sister's dance teacher, her son was in the choir and um, my um, godbrother was in the choir as well. Mm -hmm. And so they were in it before me and I knew that the choir, if you got, you, you traveled, like I knew that they'd gone to Australia, they'd gone to Europe, they'd gone um, like up and down the East Coast. They've done a few wonderful things travel-wise that I wanted to do. And I kind of felt baited, I remember, because I was, I felt a little bit baited because you have to progress in the choir in order to, to travel. 
And I thought that, you know, at eight years old, I was going to get in the choir. And after like one year, we were going to be on the road somewhere. Right. And that was not the case. Oh. <laughs> so I had to wait about um, three or four more years. I had to progress through the choir three or four more years before um, I was able to travel. So the travel part was yeah. like a big deal for you then, even in yes. second grade. Yes. Like, talk about that a little bit, because some, I mean, we all have dreams. And I think, like you said a moment ago, we're not as inhibited yeah. with expressing ourselves. But you were in second grade and you already had a had a passion and desire to travel. I mean, yeah. I mean, I had grown up with like globes and maps just all around. And I would like, I would see that there are lots of other countries and I'd be like, oh, we're only like this big, like the USA is only like this big and there's so much other stuff. I'm like, what else is happening in these other places? And I would read, you know, your little big, large print, like 10 page books from the library. You would check out and like, this is what happens in Egypt. This mm. is what they wear in Egypt. This is what they eat in Egypt. And I would like do that for like different countries and eat at the library or like watching stuff on National Geographic or um, Discovery Channel. This is what I was doing. I was nerding out about that. And then, you know, when I went to the audition for the choir, they had all these photo albums of like the, the trips just sitting out. And so I could thumb through and see, oh my goodness, all these, um, all the boys are in Australia and having a great time. And like, you know, they're holding koalas and I'm like, oh, oh, I want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so that was a, a huge uh, pull. And, and you, you mentioned a moment ago, the fear mm -hmm. when you were in preschool and singing. So a lot of folks, when it comes to any kind of performing, I mean, what's the the greatest fear of human beings is not death. It's public speaking. I don't know. If, is that actually true? Do people just. That's what they told us in like communications class in college. <laughs> right. See, and I, I've heard that somehow, too. I don't know if that's an actual statistic, but but you. So I would love to get that that sense to perform at such an early age and to do it for years before you get to have even the promise of the koalas. Uh, or even the the potential for the koala bears, right? Yeah. You had to be in this for a while, and there, you know, with performance, there's multiple components that are hard. There's the performing and the overcoming of fear. There's the practice, which can sometimes be tedious. So, yes. what did those chapters look like for you? I think initially it was just fun, and just a fun thing to do. I think once I got in the boys choir and realized that there were years in between me and travel, I was motivated mainly just by the travel. And I was like, okay, I'll just get through this. Um, because we had to learn, we had to learn to sing in parts. We had to learn music theory. We had to um, just learn a lot of things. And I wasn't into a lot of that at the time. I really, was just trying to get through. And I remember, you know, why do I need to learn this? And um, I was, we had these music theory books, I can still see them. Um, <laughs> and we had to like complete them and there were little tests and everything. And I remember after a certain point, somewhere around like learning all the key signatures, mm -hmm. 
I remember just like going to the back of the book and just filling in the answers because I just didn't want to, I was just like, this is a lot. I really don't want to do all this. And, you know, so I just remember going to the back of the book, filling out all the answers and like getting progressed along. And then of course, come years later, when I'm trying to compose music and like play guitar and everything, I'm like, I should have really had those key signatures in my head to go like right now. <laughs> it would be really useful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but it's hard, right? Like it's, yeah. it's the, the like, I, I like to hear that because we can look at people that have entered a creative path. If, if someone who's listening might go, well, I'm not creative uh-huh. you know, and, and I don't, I don't really buy that. Cause I think everybody has their own path, their own unique creativity. But even for somebody that did like some parts of it, that, that practice part or the theory part is, is hard like and tedious. Yes, definitely. But you pressed on and apparently even if you were using the answer key in the back of the book, you, you continued for years at this, and did you? I mean, what 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 did that look like in the way of commitment? Was that a weekly thing? Was that a how stringent? It was twice a week, two times a week after school for rehearsals. Those rehearsals were about hour and a half, two hours, um, and then of course weekends. There a lot of times there'd be performances, especially mm-hmm. once you're in the third year and then the fourth year is a lot of performances fourth year and on is a lot of performances and it was all leading to this desire to travel so you you did get to that yes it did level of comp (laughs) so tell us about that i mean where did you go how long did you go yeah um so my fourth year um you're in the concert choir and our first major tour was to london we were in england for a week and that was when I was 12. And that was amazing. After that, the my fifth year, we did basically a nice tour up and down the East Coast, New York, um, Boston, DC, um, up into Maine, and then kind of working our way back down, all of that. And just one big bus trip tour mm-hmm. thing that was fun. Um, my third year in the concert choir was San Francisco for a bit and then Hawaii Mm. those were great and then my fourth tour was um Canada and Chicago oh wow yeah so this is something that you had wanted for a long time and maybe let's just go it sounds like London was the first yes it was well that's a big deal that that's the first one so after all these years, mm-hmm. going all the way back to the National Geographics and this desire to travel, what was that experience like to finally get on a plane and go? Yeah, it was my first time on a plane. I got sick on the plane from the British Airways chicken. It was looked a little suspect. Oh, um, no. <laughs> oh, no. Like, but like my first few moments in London were kind of unpleasant. I was just like, counting down the moments since I got to a bathroom for the first yeah. few minutes. But after things were taken care of there, it was wonderful. Um, I remember, um, like, I wanted a picture with Big Ben. That was like, I really wanted that. And, like, the first thing we do was, like, stop by the um, river, you know, the River Thames. And if we're mm-hmm. across from Big Ben, I get the picture. It's super foggy. I feel like crap. But I got the picture. 
So that was important. That was important to have like so that you could later reflect on the accomplishment of, of getting there or what what do you think drove you to have that capture that moment? It was yeah, it was concrete. It was like I was here. I did this. Mm-hmm. And also it was it's it was a symbol of where I was. You know, like people like travel and they go to like my grandmother had like recently gone to San Francisco and it was like, she got a picture with the Golden Gate Bridge and like people, you go places, you get your picture with the thing. And that was like the thing to do. And I was like, I, I want to do that. I want to go somewhere that hasn't, you know, an epic landmark Yeah, that I can be kind of seen with. I don't know. Well, no, no, but I, I hear what you're saying because it's, it's not like you can hear that and, and you can think that that may just be about other people, but I, I love pictures with me and or my wife or or me when I was in high school in places that I love in places that inspired me and it kind of is like a totem yeah or a, or a necklace or something if you will i mean it just taking a picture of big ben you can go google that right now you can go google if you're ju- if you're just holding the camera up point it at big ben and take a shot but you there to me, there's a lot more uh, magic in that, in, in having a photo with that. I totally understand that. Yeah. What about the food? Did you, or the sites, or I mean, what What were those that week like? That was, oh goodness, food was pretty good. Like, we got into fish and chips big time. That was a thing. <laughs> they were everywhere. Um, but other than that, we kind of stuck with, getting our American stuff too. It was either, we were either going full out British or we were just like getting hamburgers and chicken fingers because we were 12. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> the standard 12 diet, 12 year old. Yeah. yeah, we were, me and the like group of like five or six other boys who I was like really close with at the time, we were very much into Beanie Babies at the time. So we were like trying to scour all the gift shops to get the princess beanie baby. I'm gonna, I'm aging myself a lot here because Princess Diana had just died, and the princess beanie baby apparently I think was was it only in UK at the time? I think it may have only been in the UK at the time or something like that. But yeah. like you had to like be there, and we were trying to find one. Of course we didn't, but we were finding other things. And I was in the Spice Girls, so it was cute to like be around and like being all the places like this was in their video and I was like there was that aspect of it and um we did see two members of the royal family who were driving by on like our one of our last days I I had wanted to like maybe we can see someone who's in the royal family and then like on our very last day the queen mother and princess Anne drove by in a motorcade and like waved randomly (laughs) <laughs> all, all in the week that you have all in the to. week yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know as a maybe a weird sidebar the beanie baby thing i i too was uh-huh. the age of beanie babies and i too <laughs> beanie babies and what i i think what's interesting what i reflect on that because i'd kind of forgotten about beanie babies until you mentioned them the ones that were imperfect the ones that had some kind of a flaw uh-huh. were the most sought after yep isn't that interesting yeah, well, too bad we don't live <laughs> perhaps the rest of our lives in such a way. Um, Absolutely. So I, I look back. I, I moved to Germany when I was 16 
because my parents got teaching jobs or my dad initially, then my mom teaching for the government. Mm-hmm. We lived in a German village and the me that was prior to that and the me that uh, made that moved through that threshold is a different person r- radically changed. And I'd, I'd like to pose that to you with all of the travel that you did over these years because it doesn't just have to be Europe. I mean, Chicago is a different a different world. San Francisco, a different world. So this collective, you know, potpourri of travel experiences. What did that do you do you have a sense of did that change you in any way? It did. It definitely did. I just was able to see certain things. I remember even on the next tour, um we I saw my first Broadway show. And we were in New York. I saw Beauty and the Beast. And I remember leaving. It was at the Palace Theater. I remember leaving and walking down the street. It was a Saturday night. And just it being like so energetic as we were walking to the stage door to get the autographs. And something kind of even hit me at 13. I was just like, oh, I think something about this place is going to play a significant part in my life. Mm. And like, I didn't know what it was. I, I wasn't like, oh, my God, Broadway at 13. Mm. That what didn't happen to much later, but like something about that place, I was like, I had a kinship with that at 13. And then like um, a year later when we went to San Francisco, just being somewhere where you could see um, two men walking around holding hands and like it isn't this huge, massive deal that people are making um, a big stink over. Like just having that in my brain that 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 place exists, and seeing it with my own eyes, and not and it not being on some television with some like perfectly manicured um, set and actors who probably are straight but playing gay, but <laughs> you know, yeah. um, it's it, it was different to see it, and that made a difference. Just to have the um, kind of the horizons broadened and just know that this place that I'm in isn't for, isn't forever. And it isn't everything. Yeah. And the fact that you can see what is possible. Yeah. That that's incredibly powerful. And, and you know, that that's interesting. You talk about that feeling with Broadway, Mm -hmm. you know, there's those of us that you hear them and they go, ever since I was 13 years old, I knew that I wanted to be a dentist. And I sometimes I go, I, I don't understand that. I don't under that level of linear clarity. I don't, I don't get, but I do understand more of what you're talking about. So it, it, it sounds, so that was a kinship with that place. I think so. I think so. It felt like more the place than like, Oh my God, this show changed my life. Got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. And and you said a humming quality. I mean, I guess that's just partly just the, the power of theater, period. But, huh, that was a sign of, of things to come. I think so. So how do we get there? How do, I, I guess maybe we, we should go to the college chapter a little bit because if you majored in marketing? I did. So what... I guess where I'd like to kind of place us in your story, um, you know, you ultimately end up in New York. Yes. And you ultimately end up doing all those different hyphenate things, which you're still currently doing. (laughs) 
But I want to know, were you already thinking about that when you went to Middle Tennessee State University? Were you already? Not really. Um, when I got to MTSU, I really thought it was just going to be like a, a, the, the place where I would get the piece of paper I was supposed to get and get the job that would, you know, pay my bills and like hopefully allow me to progress and move up and, you know, live life. Mm -hmm. um, it was, I kind of defaulted to, my sister was a marketing major and it seemed like something I was somewhat, I could do and it was versatile. I was like, okay, I don't really know specifically what I want to do. So let me go ahead and do this. And I didn't really have a passion for anything, mm. it felt like. Um, I had gotten to see, I think that it, it was, I say I think, it was a production of Cabaret at MTSU. And I was like, maybe I want to be a little closer to this and take an acting class. And because I was definitely into movies and films, but there was no sort of, path mm. from Tennessee to film but I could see theater like theater was there there was a place to do it mm. mm -hmm. so that was like where I kind of got in and like took like the because you have to take some sort of elective so I was like I'm gonna take this intro to acting let's see what happens do I like it what happens and yeah Things oh, progress from there, yeah. But isn't that interesting that a huge part of your life and career and a huge part of your hyphens is something that started as an elective? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, not even, not, you know, not even the, the, the main course. I mean, just the first couple of years of college. And I remember reading that you you had a love for film dating way back. I mean, like you, the Silence of the Lambs was. I mean, look, I, I, that that is a incredibly powerful movie. It is a chillingly uh, powerful movie. But you had a love for film, but it doesn't sound like, it, at least at this juncture of where we are, it didn't. You weren't going. This is a viable uh, path or something like that. No, just because there, I. A, I didn't know anyone who did it. I couldn't see a path from Chattanooga to film. There was just like, there was just nothing that, that linked the two. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to a certain extent, I couldn't see a path from MTSU to film mm -hmm. because at least in, in the way that it looked at the time, I think things are different now just because I think like the tech is a little bit more accessible and people can like in the internet and like people can get things out and distributed and um, made in a different way. Um, but like back then it still felt like there was kind of no way to kind of get to any sort of film situation if you weren't on a coast. Mm. Yeah, and this is pre YouTube. I mean, or it was it was like I guess two thousand three was YouTube, but it was different, right? Was there were like five videos on YouTube in <laughs> in two thousand four? You know? Yeah, I think I watched all five uh, at at MTSU. It was it was all like Charlie bit my finger? That was all it was. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> really low quality, like when we were in middle school, you know, and shooting silly videos, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. So then that's very interesting because I think so many people listening can find themselves in a similar boat where you, you said, I didn't know what my passion was or if I had passion. I think that it's helpful for us to hear, again, somebody that has so many things they're passionate about. Or at least so many things that, that are kind of part of a collective passion that at one point you chose marketing because had a lot of options, had had choice, and it was also something someone you knew had done. Mm-hmm. So how do we go from that to making the exit, the, the journey, the the trip to New York? Um I had wanted to change majors around my junior year, but then I realized I would have to stay in Murfreesboro like about almost two years longer. And I was like, that's, let's, let's start with life. Um, and as much as I love the MTSU theater program at the time, you know, a theater degree from MTSU wasn't going to be your ticket to the, to stardom. Right. So it wasn't going to be the make or break. So I just continued my theater minor, got as many classes as I was able to take and did it that way. I wanted to go to grad school immediately after college. I auditioned in everything, um, but just was not in the cards at that time. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to like work in Tennessee, make this money for a year. And then like, let's make the move. And it was nice because I did get a, this, this, is gonna, I'm, I'm, this is gonna loop back, but I had um, in that interim year between um, graduating and moving, I got a job at Verizon Wireless, was eventually fired from that job at Verizon Wireless. It was the first time I felt like I had failed at anything in my life, had a bit of a breakdown, but, um, and I felt like I wasn't supported by management there as well, but moving on. Um, <laughs> I wound up getting another job that paid a little bit more and was a little less stressful, but still used the same skills that I had gained on the Verizon job. Um, And that particular job had the same job um, at a New Jersey office that people were commuting to from New York all the time. So I would told them like around like I moved to New York in March. I told them around like maybe January, February, like I'm moving to New York anyway. You don't have to pay me for moving expenses. This was in the plans anyway, but I can work at that office and do the same job that you have. And they were like, cool. <laughs> so I was able to move to New York with a job. Uh, the the stars align Yeah. in a way where it's, it's weird that that time just synced up in that way. Yeah. So you, you mentioned failure for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 when I was researching your path and probably literally reading this from you, because you are a prolific, I mean, when you make a post with your, your, your yoga channel, you, you're sharing philosophy of life. You're telling your stories and it's, it's great stuff. And, uh, perfectionism is a, is a challenge for a lot of people and, and to fail which that word is such a like black and white term, but to me it's, I mean, life is so less black and white than that, but that's a big deal. Many people live their whole lives, maybe 
not even moving necessarily in the directions that they want deep down, but they don't because of avoidance of that experience. So I, I do want to go there for a minute because I think failure, quote unquote failure, is a is it can be a hugely uh, can be a high leverage catalyst for things in life. So, but you had to have felt really low. I mean, being fired. If it's okay, can you take us there and talk about how you got out of that situation? Absolutely. Um, I had come from, especially in academic, like job situations where it's just like, this is the job. This is how you do it. Now do it. Any situation like that, I had never struggled with. Mm -hmm. Like ever. Um, and, you know, like college, dean's list, honors, all of that. That was me. And then I get to this job that it, I'm not going to say that the people who excelled in this job were, they, I could tell they probably didn't graduate with honors, a lot of them. Yeah. And that's fine. That's fine. But I was just like, I should be able to succeed in this because I look around and I see hundreds of people working here who were able to get through this training just fine. And like, they're not smarter than me. Right. And, I, and maybe that sounds arrogant, but they're not. No, I mean, it's just, it sounds like an analysis of the situation, the anal of, of your own abilities and yeah. Yeah. And it felt like for the first time I was in a situation where I couldn't, there was a lot of things. I had to prioritize not so much getting over on the customer, but like I could get, resolve a customer's issue at that job and still quote unquote fail the call hmm. because I didn't solve it in the correct order. Hmm. But I'm like, this issue was resolved. The customer was satisfied. I was in the top 10% or so for like contract renewals for people over the phone. Right. And I still get fired. Oh, so for somebody that has never had a situation where they, quote again, quote unquote, failed, that there needs to be a better word, but... Like that, that has to disconfirm your identity of yourself in a way where this is not who I am. This is not the, I, even though you can, um, objectively illustrate how you were successful mm -hmm. with the outcome. I mean, keeping people renewed. I mean, isn't that the point I would, I would ask, but, but <laughs> okay. So, but that's, that's a blow. That's a yeah. blow. So. I think because it's valuable for folks, especially if you're like 18, 19, and you, you're just starting out, this was your first gig out of college. Yeah. In a, in a, in a collegiate career that was at the highest levels, right? The, the Dean's List. And you, you fall down. Yeah. So t just take us there for a moment on the aftermath of that. I remember eating a lot of ice cream. Um <laughs> As one is wont to do. Oh, Lord. Um, that I do remember. But um, it was just the process. Like, I learned how to get on unemployment. Um, 
I learned that I, how to, even though I was let go from the job, you know, didn't complete the training, didn't successfully complete the training or whatever, you know, I learned how to, you know, on the resume, highlight the fact that, you know, I still was in the top 10% on the contract Mm -hmm. renewals and, you know, highlight what I learned and like was able to like, you know, not fudge the resume, but like accentuate what actually went right there. Yes. And then if they ask why, they'll, I'll let them know what happened. Yeah. But if they don't ask, you know, we have, we have the positive things laid out um, in such a way and we can lead with those and still, you know, use that as an asset. And it was an asset at the next job. That's so interesting because the story that we tell of a resume is more important, not that this is a fib, because objectively, the reality is that you are in the top 10%, which should, for all intents and purposes, make you like someone they would want to retain forever. But I think that this is an important little juncture of like, the you know, some, for some people, the idea that you could be fired, well, my resume is done. It's done. That's, that's the dead end. I, what do I do? Well, this is what you do. This had to force some innovation. This had to force, I mean, definitely um, you had to get gritty to to get back up again, I would have to imagine, to apply for that next one. Oh, yeah. And it was was just, uh, I think, a lesson of do I let this define me or not? And also just continuing on and yeah applying for the next gig and like going going through the interview process again because no one likes that i mean (laughs) no one actually likes going to them and you think once you get a job you're going to stay there for a while and i don't have to do that for a while so have and it's 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 a lot of drama it's a lot of um yeah and i i i really didn't want to do it again but i I had to, at the time, was a lesson of learning how to deal with less and, like, deal with what I was, um, and, like, make it on what I was getting from unemployment and, like, understanding that unemployment also is not a failure. It's like, this is, you're, you're paying into this. This is why it's there. This is why it's there. (laughs) Um, you know, all those things. Yeah. I got laid off, uh, at one point and, you know, I the story there is I was in sales, I was in pharmaceutical sales, and I was at a very high level of, of rating overall. And it didn't matter. They laid off a 1400 person workforce. Yeah. And that whole thing, what you're talking about with unemployment, you know, I, I, I talked to some mentor of mine and they were like, exactly what you just said. This is the point. You're a taxpayer. <laughs> like th- this is it, it's weird how we're conditioned to feel guilt for the very things that we like are set aside for these situations. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so you 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 bite down on the mouthpiece and you get back up and you you go after the next thing and the very challenges and struggles with this first thing lead to this situation that you're able to build as a bridge to what you want. The very failures that could have allowed somebody to define their whole path, they become the bricks. Right. Of of because you 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 got a new gig and it helped you get over there. But I wanna before we go to New York proverbially, I wanna go back to this started as an elective. Ah, let's try this. And then it became a minor. Mm-hmm. So I just want to stay there a little bit. 
this love of theater was that cultivated even though you didn't see a, a way to make it into a career did you did you get that spark and and I, I did I did um because we were doing you know productions at MTSU they were they were whatever um and but I was still like around people who were passionate I was around some really talented people there were lots of really talented people in that program um some of whom are still working today and I was able to like from the MTSU community kind of get plugged into the Nashville community and there and in there you have people who are actually doing professional theater and maybe it's not once again you're not making tons and tons of money but you are getting paid to do theater on a stage as professional in a city um and once again this is a step and I did I was able to do you know a couple of shows with a couple of those companies like um one my senior year, one right after I graduated. And again, that was just a little bit of like, okay, we have a little momentum. We have a little bit of maybe um, skill at this because, you know, lots of people audition for these shows and, you know, I got one of those spots. And it was just, I felt like I was getting kind of these little bites and enough of a taste to keep going. Um with each kind of little either show I did in, at MTSU, like maybe it was just completely in the ensemble the first time. And then maybe the next one I have a line and maybe the next time I have like a whole scene that I'm involved in and like, just like little bits and things like that. Mm, like breadcrumbs. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, reinforcement. Yeah. What does it feel like is we're going to a broad question here, but I, what does it feel like? Do you get in a flow state when you're when you're on stage? Are you thinking? Are you what what is that like? When it's right and like I'm you know as prepared as I need to be. It's pretty much it it is a flow state. It is like full what do I need to be not it's like, what do I want to be expressing in this moment? Like, what does this character need to say? What do I need to get across to this audience at this moment? Like, you know, if I'm doing, you know, I'm thinking about Kiss Me Kate right now. Like, if I'm doing Kiss Me Kate and I'm playing Paul, I'm doing Too Darn Hot. Like, I have to get across that it's hot. I have to get across that, like, this whole company of actors is, like, really tired, but, like, also, like, really, like, sexually pent up. And, like, that whole number is, like, hmm. this big, you know expression of all of that and like I have to get that across and that's with every word with every inflection with every movement like you have to like um express that and that's what it feels like and, and if I'm kind of prepared and like I know what I'm the character wants in this moment and like what I'm going after and I have my way of getting there then yeah it is just kind of go there's so many layers to what you were just saying. There's so many layers of as part of that expression in that. I mean, you started to move kind of as if you were the character right now, but that <laughs> you just make me think like good art is, is, is layered. It, it has so many components to it. It's not just that it's hot. It's that you're tired. It, all those things that you just said. Um, so 
you do fall in love with it and you do continue to get bites, as you said. I like that as a way to to put it because this is a highly competitive uh, arena, even even in Murfreesboro, even in, I mean, ultimately Nashville. And you use your path to get to New York. So at this point, this has become a dream. And it's one thing to travel to London for a week. It's one thing to go to Chicago for some days. It's a whole other thing to pick up your life, which has been defined by Tennessee, at least for, I don't know if it was all of it, but I mean, it was a, a whole lot of it. And yeah. and now you move. So <laughs> for any human, that's a big thing. What was that experience like moving your life to the East Coast? It was it was a challenge, but I think I was super excited that I was so excited to have it finally happening that like I kind of didn't care about a lot of the challenges and a lot of the things that were um, seemingly adverse mm. because I was there. And that was the most important thing. And I kind of knew that I knew that I needed to move to New York while I was still young because I know I, I knew I wouldn't care about all the little adverse things and I would be more important that I was there and um, that I could do it the hard way when I was young. I didn't want to wait too much longer and like linger in Tennessee much longer than beyond that year. When, when did you, um, when did you, when you were young, when did you come to that conclusion that you wanted to move? I didn't know that I wanted to move to New York until like maybe 2007, maybe 2008. And I moved in 2010. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But were you saying just generally you knew that you wanted to move or specifically at, I mean, you said at a certain point you came to a conclusion and that you knew kind of that by the time that you did make the move, you were going to be hell or high water ready to, to get in that arena. Did, was it, was it specifically wanting New York or just to go any? I knew that I wasn't going to live in Tennessee from the time I was 10. Okay. I got it. I got it. I got it. So then, man, isn't that interesting that it is a long time until it finally happens. Yeah. After that. Yeah, I think that that's good for folks to hear too because sometimes you got to be patient. Yeah. Yeah, I had yeah, I knew I was I knew that I was not going to live in Tennessee from a very young age, but when I was younger I thought it was going to be uh a West Coast situation mm -hmm. immediately out the box. But um I got plugged in with theater I got plugged in with a good community of like dance folks as well because I did an internship at American Dance Festival um, and got uh, plugged in with a lot of people who are already in New York or on their way to New York got really close to them so it was just like okay I already have a network up here the jobs I want are up here and like let's let's see what this is for right now and you go and you you mentioned uh challenges mm -hmm. so uh, just are there any specific ones that come to mind that you had to overcome in those early days I mean I mean the first place that I got to live in that um where I had my own room because I of course started on someone's couch you know I thought the um the landlord had like stolen my money 
because, you know, I had, I did the thing that you're not supposed to do, which was um, give someone money without getting keys. And then when I called the number um, for like an hour, the number seemed like it was disconnected. And I was like, what the heck has happened? And then um, it eventually got worked out. And I'm guessing, I don't know if they were in an out of service area or whatever, but like there was like an hour, like, I'm like this, I did it. I did the thing and I'm going to suffer for it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But like the first place I lived was like this, you know, five bedroom situation with like one bathroom and like, I don't know anybody and like, you know, that has its own particular set of challenges. You're all sharing one kitchen. It's like, it's a lot to deal with. Um, I had, you know, skipping ahead a little bit. I had a horrible roommate situation my last four years in New York and Brooklyn. Um, Didn't really love it at all. And, but I felt the need to stay because it was so cheap. I was getting such a good deal with the rent and nothing was significantly happening in terms of my professional career to justify paying more. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I have to stay here in order to make life work in New York. Mm-hmm. And so like, it was just the financial realities of New York when you're not just making a good amount of money are there's so multifaceted and you don't realize how many there are until you're there and in it, you know, it's going to be hard. You know, they're going to be, Oh, they're going to be times where I can't like eat what I want to eat. They're going to be times when I'm going to have to, you know, maybe walk instead of taking um, the subway or like take the subway instead of taking a cab. Like, like you know that, mm-hmm. but there are so many other realities that um, are very, that they don't become tangible until you're in them. Mm. And that's true of life, right? Like yeah. careers, relationships. I mean, it's not always all bad, but you can't know about the thing really until you actually step through that threshold and, and get in the arena. I mean, that you're physically there. Uh, when, when you did make the move, do you remember any sense of like, I did it? Like I, this thing that I have, I mean, maybe it wasn't always New York, but you did get that initial uh, feeling when you made that trip. So was there a moment of like, I can't believe it. I did it. Like I, I, I crossed through. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, I think I kind of commemorated that. Like the first day there, I went to go see a, a show. I went to go see hair and um, it was just like this magical experience. It was, it's kind of a whirlwind what I, when I think about it that first night, cause it was, the, it was the day I moved that I went to go see the show. Wow. <laughs> wow. So, and, and hair, you have a particular, uh, history with, and, and, yeah. and so like I, when I was reading about your path, you, you speak of this chapter and it may be the one that we're at right now where you lived like these two lives you lived by day corporate America. Yeah. And by night you were learning like a sponge. You were, yeah. Is that where we are in the chapter right now? Um, yeah, this is about right where we are. Um, cause, because, because when I got to New York, I, part of me thought that, um, I had to make up for lost time because I was 
already over the hill at you know 23 oh yeah so old. <laughs> i thought i thought it was like i have to i have to you know make up for time and so yeah i hit the ground running i was looking for acting classes i think i was in a like musical theater workshop type class again two days after i moved to the city i signed up when i was still in tennessee wow yeah well you're getting after it that that's that but that's all i mean you know there's just something really like thinking back to being 23 probably sleep deprived i mean probably definitely exhausted at least you just moved across the country you probably had a u-haul or something or either that or you sold everything like you had that as a buddy of mine that lives in new york did and mm-hmm. and and so now you're in it though that's some hustling yeah it was I, once again, I was young and I wanted it. So I just, and now there's no boundaries between me and the things that I want. So I was, I was going for it. And the thing is I had initially wanted to, there was a school that I had gotten accepted to, but eventually didn't go to um, when I had moved up there. Cause like I got up there and I had heard around that it was maybe keep your money. (laughs) Um, but everyone had told me, it was like, you're here now, you have access to the best of everything. You can kind of create your own curriculum by Mm -hmm. making, doing the things that work for you and finding the people who work for you. And I was like, oh, I can do that. And that's what I did. You mentioned being given this notion that you can build your own path, that you don't have to stick with one curriculum. You can take a little bit from here, a little bit from there. Was that a mentor or a group of mentors or, or like who, who gave you that? That was um, another MTSU alum, Brandon James Gwynn, and just a lot of people, um, a lot of other people who I was coming in contact with in New York who were kind of in the same field and who had, you know, had a little bit more experience and who had kind of gone gone through things and I guess maybe knew a little bit better about how you can kind of build things and find people who work for you. And like, I think maybe they had gone through the... I didn't realize it at the time, but like, I guess certain conservatory type programs, like once you're in a big, huge program, you can kind of lose a certain amount of autonomy Mm. because this group of people kind of decides your fate. And when you are basically a paying client to this one particular maybe teacher, it's like, you still have, you're able to maintain a little bit of your own self. It's easier to do that. Let me say that. It's easier to do Mm. that. Mm. Because this isn't for a grade that's going to define you and like determine if you get this piece of paper or paper or not. This is just class. Mm. It's, It's like the difference between just, did I get the skill? Did I get better at the craft versus did you hand me a sheet of paper that deems me worthy? Yes, yes, yes. Did you have a particular path that you were interested in? Like, oh, I definitely want to be theater on stage. I want to do film. I want to do both. Did you know you were going to become a multi-hyphenate at this point? Or 
I wanted to do both, but I had also knew, known that, you know, I had moved to New York. I had been dancing for a little bit. I've always been singing. Um, acting was coming on board. And I was like, okay, I think I want to give this musical theater thing a good run because once again, I'm here. This is where it happens. Um, that's where my interests were, particularly at the time. And I was thinking, I saw... And it was easier to see myself in musical theater. I was able to see people who looked like me a lot more. It felt like I was able to see myself more in musical theater than all the time in the movies that I enjoyed. Let's be real. Um, And that's where I was um, aiming to, to, to go into musical theater and make that push mainly at the time. Yeah. Um, was there with musical theater? I feel like folks that absolutely love it. There's usually some inciting memory. There's like some specific show that it was like, oh, like some people are, don't like musical theater for the very reasons why. Like I love it, and and so I can think back to. Well, I can think back to. I mean, the fact that I was lucky enough to live overseas, so I got to see you know Les Mis in London early on, I I was very fortunate, but do you have some memory? Was it that beauty and the beast performance or was there one where it was like, Whoa, like this is a world that I I'm interested in. I think that was when I saw the Chicago movie. Oh, okay. Cause I, I mean, I knew that Chicago was a show, um, a Broadway show, but I, I didn't know anything about it. Um, but when I saw the movie, I was like, oh, this is kind of a combination of a lot of things that I like. And then, you know, I started researching about, you know, the Broadway show and, you know, Bob Fosse, who directed it on Broadway and his other films and his other Broadway shows. And that that was kind of the gateway point where I was just like, oh, this might be something that you like um, and maybe go into at some point. We'll see. Yeah. Well, and, and so then returning to where we are at present in your in your journey, mm-hmm. you you're you're a sponge, and you're going on this path where you're you're choosing. It sounds like you're you're tailoring your direction toward this this path, and at some point, you are you enter into an opportunity, and I I I, I think this is where we run into hair. Is is this right? Mm-hmm. So. What, what what was the inciting incident there? What what did that look like? I mean, I had seen, like I said, I'd seen the Broadway show. That was one of the main reasons I moved to New York when I did, because I wanted to see that original cast before they left. On your first day, too. Yeah, my first day. First day. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was going on tour. And I had been in my acting classes for a good two two about two years at that point and like I felt like okay this is the time for me to like kind of somewhat flex these muscles because I was just I was just working my day job and going to classes mm-hmm. and maybe performing at an open mic on the weekends mm-hmm. um that was my performance experience in New York at the time and once hair came around I I just knew that I had to give it a go. And even if I didn't get it, I knew I was going to have to give it a go, you know, day job kind of be damned. You know, I called in sick. I did, I did all sorts of things to make sure I got to those auditions. Um, 
And yeah, I, I did end up getting the job. You got the job on the show that you went to go see mm -hmm. on your first day in New York, like a couple of years later. Yeah. That's bizarre. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, what, what an interesting synchronicity that out of all the shows that you could have aimed at and you could have fought for, like you, you get on that show. So, and this, I, if I'm remembering correctly, this involved a lot of travel. This involved some significant travel, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, we were all over the U S Canada and, um, finished up with two weeks in Tokyo. So we got to go there for a minute. Of course. That, that's, I mean, so just to take it back, I mean, you have been putting in the work, you've been putting in the study, you know, in movies. And I talk about this a lot on this podcast, but it, people will show a montage like in the old Rocky movies or something, because that part is not fun to look at in real time, right? Like that, that it's a montage for a reason because, okay, let's speed this up. Let's show you some highlights. But that was two years of you and the, and the performance, like you said, your soul f performing food to eat on the plate was open mic nights, but it pays off after a committed two years of, of study. And while you're still working a full-time gig, you, you get this job, uh, and suddenly now you're touring. I mean, was that, I mean, were you, I, part of me wants to think, were you like, holy crap, I'm doing it. Or was part of it like I've do, I've put in the work. This is hardly surprising. Like, were you blown away? Was it was it? I was a little blown away just because this was like like you said. This is the same production that I had seen that had motivated me to be here. You know, the same director on Broadway comes into the first day of rehearsal. The same choreographer, you know, coaches me in like specific sections. You know, these are people who were, you know, nominated for awards who are in rehearsal with me. And I'm just like, the biggest thing on my resume is like a Nashville pro theater credit. One, <laughs> two, 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 <laughs> you know? Well, then, you know, I realize we kind of skated past that uh, rehearsal, but we can't yeah. skate past that. I mean, this has got to be a, I mean, take us there because going back to that failure or fear or swinging for the fences, I mean, take us to that rehearsal. Rehearsal, um, like, I mean, the first day was just pretty epic. I just remember walking in and seeing all the people and I'd met a few of them because we'd done a little bit of press before. So I knew a few of them. And then, you know, like, like I said, the, you know, Broadway director is there and she gives us the talk about, you know, the sixties and like how she wants us to like start to embody characters and like um, all of these things. And she's, she's a very intense woman, <laughs> but like, it's, it's motivating. And it's like, it, it, it helps you understand kind of the depth of what's happening mm. in the story. And like, 
Yeah, and a few weeks, a couple of weeks later, we have once again that original Broadway choreographer coming in. And like, I felt like, especially because the track that I, or the track, the um, role that I was doing in the show um, had a lot of significant, I guess, movement dance moments. So I felt like I was getting a lot of attention from her as well in terms of the coaching and like intentions from this specific Broadway choreographer who has a lot of experience outside of that in the modern dance world where I had kind of spent a lot of time as well. So I'm like, I knew who this person was in a big way. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. And then, you know, it was interesting because like once we got out of like the rehearsal room where it was like super creative and super ooey gooey and lovey and like, let's tell the story. um, Once we got to the theater where we had to like put it on its feet it got very, this is what we need you to do. And I think I wasn't um, prepared at the time for that jump of how things work. And once again, I was very green in terms of like real professional pay your bills sort of theater. And there were moments where I got a little bit overwhelmed and like, you know, these people have expectations and it's not in, you know, where they would have been a little bit more, oh yeah, whatever. When we were in the rehearsal room on stage, it's like, no, you have to be here at this time right now. Why aren't you there? Um, And I, once again, I wasn't ready for that. There were moments where I would, you know, I had, I would, when we had our five minute breaks, I would find my corner. I would vent, let it all out. Um, I even had a talk with one of the like assistant, assistant, assistant stage manager people of like, of like what was going on and with me personally and just like not, like I said, I just wasn't prepared for that little jump of like, this is still a profession. These people still have professional expectations and yes, and their work is on the line Mm -hmm. as well in terms of like when, you know, the Broadway director comes back or when, you know, the producers come in and they want to see this thing, if you're not where you need to be, that reflects on them. And, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't understanding those inner workings at the time. It was, I was still very much in the ooey gooey, lovey, let's have fun and tell the story um, energy from the rehearsal studio, which of course changes when you're in the theater. <laughs> Isn't that so fascinating? Yeah. <laughs> That's so fascinating because, you know, that, that ooey gooey, that creative, that, that, that kind of relaxed creative flow, ultimately it makes sense. It has to marry that ultimately, I mean, for lack, for, for good or ill, it's a capitalistic endeavor to try to sell a show and keep people. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it is for safety. There are things flying in. There are there are large set pieces moving. It's like you have to not be in the way of this. Oh, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that that's a overwhelming and jarring change. And it's it goes back to that theme of like the reality of the thing being different than just the hypothetical you know, thing that we're in love with with any path. And so you get through it though, apparently, because you 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 went all over the country. You you toured. Um, so did you feel yourself? I'm always interested in people when you get to a, a sense of overwhelm, and then you you're able to somehow get through that. I felt that I was. I had to like understand that I was still learning, mm. and that this was my first 
real professional theater experience. And this was a big one for it to be the first. And I had to cut myself a little bit of slack of like not knowing certain things. Mm. Um, Even though I wish I had known them at the time. And, you know, there were people who had done tours before. There were people who, you know, had like had like resumes before they got here who were, you know, like, and, and I, I, I felt not that I had to, um, there was times, yeah, there were times where I felt like I had to like pull up to the level in a way, but I also, I had to remember that 1200 people auditioned for this show and I'm here. That's right. And we didn't even talk about that. We didn't even talk about you going into that room when you were just in the auditioning process for a show that really mattered to you and you, and you, you won. I mean, so much of this path you're on is about being able to overcome jitters. I would imagine not to go back too far, but that audition room, I I do want to go there. Was that terrifying or not really? It wasn't really because like I had I had done some auditions, you know, those those first few um months in New York just to like see what it was. Um and it's cause the first audition is just like so many people, you go in, I danced first, so you go in and I had not I had known the combination because I I auditioned when it was on Broadway and so like I knew what I needed to knew the movements. Um but so you go in and it's just like you learn it and you do it. And like, I, th- I, I never get too worked up for the most part at the first audition. Because if they like you, they like you. If they don't, it's, it's, yeah. it's just the first round. And then I get called back to sing and I'm like, okay, I know what I'm singing. Um, I remember the, the, the um, casting director, she's a friend now, but she held up her hand when I was finished. And I was like, did I do something wrong? But I didn't realize she was like, she had heard what she needed to hear, that it was good. And like, they have so many people to get through. Mm. Mm. I didn't realize that was what was happening because I thought I was done. I was like, I think I did good. But I was like, she held up her hand. And I was like, okay, I'll go now. Thank you. Bye. That's exactly and- what I would think. If I- <laughs> <laughs> but of course, you know, I get the callback from there. I think the first callback, oh yeah. The first callback was something that I have never done before and have never done since. They literally start playing um, like kind of eight eight um, measures of like one of the major songs in the show and they teach it to you and everyone sings it one at a time down the line. There are at least 30 guys in this room. And from those, that, those lines, they cut. Wait, they cut people. What, what, what do you mean when you say from those lines, they cut from after you sing, sing those little, those eight bars of the song yeah. after all like maybe 30 however many guys who sang those songs in the room with me um after everyone had sang they look at the headshots they look at how you did and or like how you fit based on your voice or whatever and then they cut like while you're in the room um they let us go out for a second but like we were all in the room hearing each other yes <sighs> wow that's a lot of pressure yeah and but once again i was like this, 
I, I had the feeling of just like this, not that this is not supposed to happen, but just like, I, how do I say this? I felt that I had nothing to lose. Because mm-hmm. once again, thinking about my resume, I'm like, this is kind of a long shot at that time. It just is. It, I Just thinking about where I was at that time and what was on my resume, I'm just like, I have nothing to lose here. So I'm just going to go sing this thing the way I know how to sing it and go from there. Um, I think we did like maybe a scene or two after that. Then I had one more callback. Again, I danced. And then I had to do some material from one of the lead roles that I would be understudying. And I just remember, I remember rehearsing it the night before and just like, you have to like kind of go there. Cause it, it, it that lead role that I would have been understudying had some, um, the, the, the big song has some like racially tinged um, lyrics. And it, once again, it's about the 60s. Yeah. And you have to, you can't have to do that. You have to go there. And I was just remember the rehearsal before, I was just like, this is where you just have to let go and go. And you have these skills now. This is not, you know, you two years before when you didn't know how to access these things. You know how to do that now. So go. And yeah, that's what I did in the audition room. And like, I think a week, maybe a week and a half later, I got a call while I was at work. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you freed yourself is almost what I'm hearing. You did not have a whole lot of fear because you were an underdog going into this situation. And it sounds like you just had some real, you, you, you weren't afraid as much. I, I, I wasn't afraid. And then because I had seen so many people, so many of my friends who I, who are very talented, you know, who were in this audition process with me. And like, I would come back the next day and they weren't there. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So, but you, you were picked and you got that phone call. And what was that moment like to get that phone call? It was crazy. I was like coming, I had, um, I got the call at work. It was a voicemail and I called um, the uh, company manager back as I was like coming from under the, um, oh good Lord, the, the tunnel from Jersey to, to New York because I had just gotten off work. And they, he, asked, he asked, you know, do I want to be a part of the tour? You know, we have a spot for you. I'm like, um, yes, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> were you were you calm like were you level like that when you said it i was on a bus i was on a um <laughs> a new jersey transit bus so i couldn't like scream yeah right yeah good call yeah, yeah. man that's such a i mean what a cool story and and what fuel for anybody no matter what path you're in that you could be one out of 1200 and you have cultivated a love that you've poured gasoline on the little flame of, and you've worked hard and you've worked a full-time job. And in spite of all of the lack of experience, you you're a touring actor on stage. You go to Tokyo. Yeah. By the way, what was Tokyo? (laughs) It was amazing. Um, Yeah. I, I was, I, I was happy to be there. And then when I got there, I stayed in my room for like an entire day. I was like, 
what are you doing? There's Tokyo, like Japan is out, like just leave the hotel. <laughs> I didn't realize what was, like I was actually a little bit scared. And then when I left the hotel, I realized I hadn't even learned how to say yes and no. And I was like, James, <laughs> you have a phone, look up these words. Cause I went to the hotel and like went to, I left the hotel, went to like a grocery store to like buy, I don't know, like maybe a, a piece of candy or like just something to eat. And I didn't know anything. Mm. And I was like, this is why it's, it was just, it was just like, it was a culture shock completely. Yeah. Be- beautiful place. Beautiful place. I loved it. Um, but it was a culture shock. And like, once I was able to like learn the basic things and get, learn my way around. And it was, it was a wonderful experience. I felt that I was able to um, kind of feel the culmination of everything. Cause this was at the end of the tour. Mm. Like once it was, um, we finished in, in Japan, we were, we were done. And I was kind of able to, it felt like a celebration. It felt like this was the time to like celebrate with my friends because also a lot of our performances were kind of concentrated on the weekends. So we would have like two and three day stretches of like no shows where we could like explore. We went to Tokyo Disney. Um, Yeah. And like, we saw the giant um, Buddha statue able to like go around to all these different places. And I remember when we were at the, um, the great Buddha statue i just remember like being there and it's of course it's very spiritual it's very serene and like a lot of the temples like you you feel that when you go there and i felt that in such a real way and i remember going there and just like sending up a prayer of like asking that i would be given more opportunities to do what i love i remember that those were the words it wasn't i didn't like say let me book another show i remember just asking i want there to be more opportunities to do what I love. And that's what I remember about, about Japan most significantly. And of course the shows, we were kind of treated like rock stars in Japan. It was like after shows, the stage door was crazy. Like the whole time. Yeah. (laughs) I, I just putting myself in your shoes and trying to, at least, I mean, trying to project that experience. I mean, that's gotta be crazy to go from, you know, I mean, we went to MTSU. I mean, we're, you know, that's, that's a great school, but it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's not a huge town, especially back in 04. Yeah. And to go from there to moving to New York to now suddenly being on stage and being rushed at the stage door. I mean, that's got to feel crazy. I mean, so much has happened in such a short period. Mm-hmm. And, and that moment with the Buddha that moment of, I mean, the moment of that prayer that, that it sounds as though you were really feeling the joy of what it is to be on the path of doing what you're, what you love doing. And so you wanted more of that. You did not want that to stop at this incredible experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely wanted more. This felt like a wonderful welcome to the family as it were. Um, yeah, that's what it felt like. All right. So that's part one with James Roberts, the fourth hope that you enjoyed that. I mean, again, it's such a, an incredible story and one that's inspiring for me, at least, even if you want to do something totally different than, than what he did, 
I love in particular, as I reflect back on that section, I, I love how he flips what is an initial failure into something that leads to an even better situation. I think that's universal. I was also particularly, I, I, I loved his attitude with, with the uh, audition process. I can understand it. I can understand that you allow yourself to not feel pressure because of the long shot that it, it is and what he did. But it, I mean, that's an incredible story. That's inspiring for all of us. If you're interested in checking out more of James's work, you can go to jamesrobertsthefourth.com. That is James Roberts, the numeral four. So jamesrobertsiv.com. And you can find him on Instagram, both with his acting, singing, and other performance work at jamesroberts96. And his yoga practice and teaching is available at jrobertsyoga on Instagram. Now, if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help what I'm doing here, please write a review on Apple iTunes, even if you're using a different platform. Uh, it's Every time someone does that, I'd so deeply appreciate it. And uh, the second and equally wonderful thing you can do is share it with someone if you really liked an episode. We will be back next Thursday with part two with James Roberts, the fourth. Wherever you are, I hope that you're well. It's uh, spring is beginning to, uh, I guess, transfer into summer here in Tennessee, which means it's that very rare window of time where the weather is 70 degrees, sunny, and there's at least sometimes with no tornadoes. So wherever you are, I hope that you're well, and I will see you next week.